This episode is sponsored by our friends at SongTrust. SongTrust is the world's largest technology solution for global music publishing, royalty collection, and administration. It was founded to simplify music rights management and to remove complexity from the publishing landscape. SongTrust collects publishing royalties for more than 2 million songs with a community of more than 300,000 songwriters and rights holders. Use promo code PUBCAST20 and sign up for 20% off your SongTrust registration. Hey, hey, PubCasters. Welcome back. On this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, we sit and chat with icon Jody Williams, owner of Jody Williams Songs. Jody not only shares with us his history, but he also shares with us the risks and wins of his success. How you doing, Jody? Well, I would argue with Icon, but I'm doing pretty good, Tim. Thank you so much. <laughs> I guess we throw Icon on people that may not be around as much, but you are still prevalent. You are a major part of the the industry and, and have been a white and a mentor to me for so many years. So again, I, that's why I would put the icon on. It's good that you're humble. That's another thing. If you don't know Jody, you know he's a <laughs> humble man. And I love that about you. But why don't you, this is a great place to just let you kind of, why don't you give us a brief synopsis of, of Jody Williams from past to present? I'll, I'll try to do this fairly fast. I'm born and raised in Nashville. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be a songwriter. I wanted to be, play guitar in somebody's band. I was moderately interested in songwriting. Uh, I'd gone to school with uh, Francis Preston's kids at what is now university school. So I used to hang out at Francis Preston's house. She ran the BMI office here for many years, started the BMI office here. And so I always knew her as David and Donnie's mom. Next thing you know, I'm working in the mailroom at BMI. And... Um, I was 21, I'm sorry, I was 20 when I took that job and I worked there for about a year and a half. And it was during that time that I really learned the intricacies of what was going on behind the scenes with songwriters, how, they're, how they were paid, how they interacted you know, with publishers and the record business. I, I, I was an avid reader of all my liner notes on album covers. So I, I was curious about publishing company names and what they did and all that type of thing. And then at BMI, I quickly learned how fascinating all that became to me. And pretty, and, and I had a couple of, you know, experiences of going on the road and playing in some bands. And I, I learned pretty quickly that that was not the life for me. Plus, I'm not that good of a, uh, of a guitar player or a songwriter. So I worked at BMI. I, I went from there to my first real song plugging job, uh, working for Charlie Daniels. Uh, that was at Sound 70 Productions. That was basically his management company. It was concert production. And they had a little desk drawer publishing company. And I just tried to get Charlie's songs that he didn't record himself cut by other people. They weren't really serious about, uh, you know, building that. So I went from Screen Gems to uh, Chapel Music before it was merged with Warner, Ch Warner Brothers. I went from there after a couple of years to uh, Tree Publishing Company. And worked the, and had a just a great time there. Then I was uh, hired to run Dick James Music, which was uh, the Beatles and Elton John's original publisher. They had an office here for a short period of time, and I ran it for nine months because they only hired me to keep everybody happy while they sold the company. So I had that job lasted nine months, and they let everybody go. I went back at that time to BMI to be a writer rep. 
So that was like from 85 to 95, I was a writer rep at BMI, which was the heyday of country. That was when country music was the pop music of the day. I mean, it was the best time to, to be in that seat at BMI as just a roving writer rep. And then in uh, 95, I was hired to run the office of MCA Music Publishing. That lasted four years till they merged with Polygram Music. Then once again, I was out of a job. They, they let everybody go, most everybody. So after I was let go, I thought, well, I'm going to call my friends at ASCAP or BMI or, you know, I don't, I certainly don't want to start my own company. But guess what? Nobody needed a song plugger. Nobody needed a writer rep. And, and my good friend Donna Hilly, who was at Tree at the time, said, you know, you, you, sh- you should just hang out a little shingle on Music Row and tell your songwriter friends that you're starting a company. And maybe I'll do a joint venture with you if you get something going. But I, I can't promise that. But that, you know, that's those are the doors that are open to you. So I, I went and I did that. I rented a little office, started spending my own money. I called Pat McLaughlin, who was a good friend of mine. I said, can I come get some of your songs and pitch them? And he didn't want to have a publishing deal, but he let me, uh, he would give me 50% of the publishing on anything I got cut. So after about four months, we got a song cut by uh, Alan Jackson, a Pat song. And I thought, well, now, God, this is great. And, And this was at the time when those album cuts, it didn't need to be a single. The album cut would, you know, supply you with enough money to, really keep going. And then not too long after that, Donna Hilly gave me a joint venture. Had that company for seven years. That was called Jody Williams Music. And um, I met Liz Rose and she started writing with a kid named Taylor Swift. And we ended up with eight songs on the first Taylor Swift record and four on the next record. And I found Josh Turner. Um, I hired a girl to be my creative director named Catherine Blassingame, who is now Catherine Church married to Eric Church, so we ended up we ended up with with Josh Turner cuts and Eric Church cuts and at the very beginning of his career and we just had a great run with that company, and then Sony stopped their joint ventures all of them whether they were successful or not. So I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I've got to go either start spending my own money or something else. And it was at that time that uh, Dell Bryant at BMI called me and said, you want to come back and run the BMI office? And I thought, wow, I haven't made any money in the last seven years. I mean, I've built a, up a company of catalog, but you know, you're not, you're not really making money. And I thought, this is kind of a job I've always wanted to do. I, I watched uh, Francis do it. I watched Roger Sovine do it, who I worked for there. So I went, I went and took that job. I stayed, I, I sold my company to Olay, which is now Anthem, and they, they were needing a sort of a tentpole catalog to sort of build their operation around back in those years. And then I stayed at BMI for 13 and a half years, left at the end of 19. And the week of the lockdown, March of 2020, I started Jody Williams Songs. And that's that's where we are now. We're, we're 18 months into that. And um, it's a lot of fun. It almost sounds like in your early career, you had fear of commitment, to be honest, from that jumping around. You sound like a serial dater. Was the reasons for moving jobs, because you mentioned it, was it financial or was it an opportunity to be at a different company? Like what, what made you in the early days decide to, to switch up as much as you did? Well, it was not financial. I mean, it was Charlie Daniels was the only writer that we could have 
they weren't signing writers. So if and Charlie didn't write a bunch of songs, but um, so I would have to pick up single songs. And I did that and met, gosh, I met, you know, a lot of people who had later success during those years too. At, at Screen Gems, uh, Charlie Feldman ran the office at that time. And we didn't have, it wasn't like the hotbed. It wasn't like a really hot company at that time, but they had about five staff writers and we were loping along getting some cuts, but it wasn't just a powerhouse. So then when Chapel called, that was Pat Rolfe and Celia Froelig and Henry Hurt. And they had Rory Burke and Charlie Black and Tommy Rocco and, uh, you know, Lang Martin and Rafe Van Hoy. It was like, oh, now we're talking. These guys can write. These guys are really good. And I got in there and I, I got cuts. I got to sign my first writers that I signed at that company. Um, and so, um, and I, you know, when then publishers would call and ask if, if I wanted to come to work. So when tree called, I was flattered. I thought, well, that's the biggest company in town. That's, that's Bobby Braddock and Curly Putman. I mean, what the hell let's go, you know? And so that's how I looked at it. I, it was not the money. It was the, uh, opportunity to, to learn from those people. And I'm going to just put this on record for anybody listening here and did not recognize names that Jody Williams just mentioned. Go look them up. <laughs> if you don't know the business people, yeah. you should know those business people. If you don't know those writers he named, you really need to know those writers because they're the ones that built this town that we're all playing in now. But how do you define entrepreneur and how what do you think that you would define yourself as an entrepreneur? Well, I, yes. And it's and it, and here's why. It's because my opinion about the music is the most important opinion about the music. I don't care what you say. I don't care what he says. I don't care what the head of A&R at that label says. If I think this music is viable, then I know there's other people out there that are going to, that's going to think it's viable and you can't stop me by saying no. And there comes a point when you sign a writer and if you're wrong and you're two and a half years into it and you go, golly, this, I don't know if we can do this anymore. That yes, you sometimes you're wrong, but I don't know if it's stupidity or it's it doesn't feel like bravery. But I'm not afraid to just walk out on a limb, waving my banner for my writers and the songs. And so it's just sort of you have to sort of have a fearless approach to the whole business to be an entrepreneur. I think. I don't always look at the risks, to be honest. I know they, they exist. Uh, I know the odds of being successful are ridiculously bad. Like it's it's probably 90-10. You know, all new companies, probably 10% win and 90% fail. But for my mindset, I can't look at that. What I look at is the end goal of believing that no matter what, I'm going to be able to do this. How much of that kind of process drives you and how do you approach that? Let me just say, you said something a minute ago. I never think about the risk. Like I never wake up and I'm driving in thinking, man, this is a long shot. I don't think like that. I think, man, we've got to get this song to Chris Lacey. And if we, if she doesn't like it, we got to get the song to the next person up the line for that artist, because I just got this, you know, that's the way I think, you know, there, there are the, the days where you have to make the hard choices about dropping writers and you know in in this company i'm not to that point yet because we're we're just so new you know every and and everybody that we've signed has 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 a win has posted more than one win so we're 
we're doing okay right now. Um, but I don't think about the risk. I just think about look look at what could happen. And this is just me being a glass half full guy. I'm just I'm just generally that way. And we we all have friends who aren't that way, and that's okay. You know, some you know we have a couple of writers who are who are uh, not glass half full. <laughs> you know, and and we and, and you know you you gotta you gotta play you gotta spend a little more time with them. You know, and you gotta get them like like hey you know let's. Let's, everything is possible today. What do you think it takes to truly be a great publisher? Do you think it's changed now? And and because you had a company back, uh, I forget the years you said you had Jody Williams. It would have been late 90s, right? When you had Jody right, Williams. 99 to 206. So, and, and now starting here in 2020 to in 2021 with your new company, what do you think some of the differences are between the two? So question one, <laughs> I'll back up so you know, is, what does it take to be a great publisher? And then question two, how's it different from then to now? Well, then writers kept their own calendars, generally speaking. Now writers don't keep their calendars, generally speaking. Then there were there was more opportunity to make money now there's less opportunity then you you woke up and you focused on having a radio song now now you have to focus on having a radio song too but there's a step before that and that step is get your writers writing with some independent artist who's really committed and get a digital release get it get it get an independent that's what we're we're like focused on that Yes, we're pitching songs, and yes, we're trying to get cuts on Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw. Absolutely. You know, I, I want to know that I've got like 20 independent, like our songs that we publish on Spotify that I can just punch in the title and there's there's my song. That's the, that's the win for me now. Now, to make this company successful, I better have some radio success pretty quick here, you know. And, and fortunately, we have Ashley McBride, who has some radio success. And she's, about, she's recording her third record now. And I think it's, it's all looking good. And we're going to have a bunch of songs on there. So um, that's, that's really what I, the, the then and now of it is, is, uh, is different in that way, because it's all, it's all about uh, relationships it's more about relationships than it's ever been. In other words, I'm dependent on big machine music interacting with my company in a positive way. You know, we're dependent on each other. I'm, I'm dependent on every publisher in town that our writers write with and having that good relationship. And, and when, when Nina says, do you know, I don't know so-and-so to hook up a write. Do you know them? Well, tr- chances are I know them. So she she gives me my marks. I'll you know she I get a little email from her every other day going, can you call so and so and do this because I don't know them, and and so we 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 do that. I do help with all that, and we collaborate with with co write ideas. But um, I just think that the the thing that hasn't changed him is the the community aspect of it, where we're all dependent on each other. We we you don't want to burn a bridge if you and I get cross with each other today and we're pissed at each other 
we both know that six weeks from now, there's going to be a piece of business that we're going to both have our names on that we're going to want to do. We better not hold a grudge and we just better behave. And that's the way I look at all my relationships with my co-publishers and the labels and the managers. You know, you just want to keep every door open. I'm a big subscriber to that. I mean, it's very easy to carry a can of gas and a match around with you everywhere because we are <laughs> inevitably you're going to have arguments with somebody that's a friend and you need a business relationship with. But it is a very small town. It's a very relationship town, as you said. Pro yes, more now than ever. And you've got to maintain those because it, it, it's a bit challenging. I, I want to touch on something because I'm curious of your your answer here. How, because we came out of an era, as you said, of just pitching songs. And to me, still, yeah. my greatest joy is hearing that song, knowing where it needs to go, taking that song to that place, and then somebody loving it, kind of, right? That's still the core of our business. However, as you mentioned, calendars. The bane of my existence anymore is calendars. I think they're going to be the death of me, but it is a, a necessity at this point because the relationship, as you said, is so vital to, to establish those for your writers and working with other companies that work as hard as you. What do you do to motivate yourself and find joy in that side of it? Uh, to Because it's a little different than pitching songs. You know, when you're, I was at BMI for almost 14 years this time. And when you're there, you don't meet the incoming creative directors. You don't meet the 23 year old creative directors. So I missed a couple of generations, it seems like, of those incoming people. So I hired, Nina Jenkins, she's our creative director, and all of her pals, I had to get to know them. Like this, the last year and a half, the one of the greatest joys is getting to know all of her, her comrades at the other companies that are her age and her age group and her and the generation just ahead of her. And I have learned so much from them. I mean, that's that's like a part, that's a really important part of the job for me, because if you're not you know, if you're not living and breathing what the younger generations are doing, then you're living in the past. And and I, I've got to be around them and I got to know how they think and how they feel about co-writes so I can keep learning. Hey, thanks for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. We hope you subscribe in your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to stay up to date and informed in the world of music publishing and songwriting. The AMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Del Bobo and yours truly, Tim Hunzi, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks again for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Yeah.